Welcome to the Inspirations News Podcast, sponsored by Quebec's only newspaper devoted exclusively to the news of the special needs community. Tune in regularly to hear uplifting success stories, learn about resources, and gain timely advice in the area of special needs, featuring experts in various fields. Here's your host, your host Mark Bergman. Welcome to the Inspirations News Podcast. The Care Center, a nonprofit recreational and educational center for adults over the age of 21 with physical disabilities, is located in the heart of Cote St. Luke. Big fundraiser coming up, looking to connect with former Wager students for their 25th anniversary. With these funds, they will be able to continue their work and help combat the increased difficulties caused by the pandemic. Joining us is Joanne Chiron, the president. Hi, how are you? Great. Olivia Cannell is here, executive director. Hi. Tamar Hertz, a board member. She's a parent, a Wager High School alumni. Hi, thanks for having us. And Alain Chamas is a, a, a client here. And it's important to note that Alain is nonverbal and he'll be using a Dynavox computer to communicate with us on the podcast. Alain, hello. Hello. So before we get into the campaign, Joanne, can you give people listening a a top-line understanding of CARE and its mission? Okay, well, CARE was born out of uh, Mackay Center School by parents whose kids were aging out of the youth youth sector, and there was a need for such programs because at the time, well, first of all, for those who don't know Mackay, Mackay is a, a special needs school for the physically handicapped. They also deal with visually and hearing impaired students. And when the students would age out at 21, there were no programs for them to go to. So basically parents were told they had to keep their young adults at home, which created a problem because most families, one of the couple would have to quit their job and stay home. Or if it was a single parent, they would have to quit their job, go on welfare to care for their child or if they could do neither, they would have to place their child and the waiting list is 13 years. Regardless, uh, it is their right to continue uh, furthering education and activities to be stimulated. And because there was no program to receive them in the adult side, parents got together and created CARE. I find it amazing that there really is no other place for people over 21 to go to. Well, there are starting programs. They're all private. There's nothing uh, given really by uh, the government or the health sector. And those programs, our clientele or students would never, ever meet the criteria to even attend. So there's a huge gap for the population that we're dealing with because they're more heavily handicapped. For example, they're mostly all wheelchair bound. They need to be fed. They need to be transferred. They need to be toileted. They need to have their meds uh, distributed to them. So they wouldn't meet the criteria of any day program that exists today. Olivia, tell me about some of the programming offered at CARE. Well, we have a heavy emphasis on health and wellness over the last few years. And what that means is basically addressing the physical health and the mental health of our clientele and ensuring that they have a lot of socialization opportunities. Pre-pandemic, we did a lot of outings in the community for community inclusion. And we went to most accessible, wheelchair accessible venues, such as many of the museums in Montreal, a lot of plays. Um, Alain loves to go to the botanical gardens. 
when the pandemic hit, we had to kind of stop all of our outings in the community. And um, a good thing was we adapted to online virtual learning through Zoom. And we had access to actually many museums offered uh, like guided tours privately to us over uh, Zoom. So we were still able to engage with uh, our community over the last year. Um, at CARE, we do a lot of programs that involve stretching, getting out of your wheelchair, also nutrition and healthy eating, supplementing diets with healthy smoothies, um, as well as the educational component, uh, learning about history and world events and all sorts of topics in psychology, even mathematics, about computers. So it's really a combination of both education and recreational activities. And of course, as you said, you guys had to really pivot uh, when the pandemic hit. Where are you guys at now? Are you, are you back to, um, the year is almost over, right? The year is almost over. So we, we did close periodically throughout the year, but we opened, we were open in September. We have students currently right now until the end of June. Typically um, in the summer months, we would offer a summer camp and our outings program. Now this year, we are not doing camp. Hopefully next year we will be, but this year uh, we've adapted to doing home visit program where our caregivers would go and to the homes of our clients, um, to their residences, group homes, or private family homes to visit for a couple of hours um, so that they can still have that connection with people that they know and trust really well. LA is agreeing with me that he really enjoys to have uh, visitors. Actually, Alain lives in a long-term care facility, so he finds the summers very long, uh, being mostly alone uh, every day for July and August. So camp is very important for us, and so are our home visits. We're going to talk to Alain in uh, just two minutes. Uh, Tamar, I wanted to get to you because we want to talk about the fundraiser. You guys are looking at raising some big money, right? Yes, definitely. We want to be able to replace uh, the the annual fundraiser that the Care Centre usually does because they weren't able to do that this year. And our goal is to raise $25,000. Because of the this time during the pandemic, it's exceptionally hard to ask people for money. Um, So we decided we were going to ask for a very small amount of money from a lot of people. And Although this uh, requires an incredible amount of work, uh, we feel that it's worth it so that we can also get the word out about the program so people can really understand how amazing this program is and what kind of work is being done here right in the city of Cote St. Luke. How much are are you asking and how are people to donate? We're asking for $25 from each graduate that we can connect with and um, we have set up a fundraising site through Canada Helps. Uh, which is going to be, it's available on our uh, Facebook page. And also because of the nature of Wager alumni, uh, one of the graduates, his name is Gary Perlman, he created um, a site where he scanned in every yearbook that spanned the 40 years that Wager was producing graduates with links to those people. And um, in 2016, the graduates from, I think it was 88 to 93, got together and had this huge reunion at the Wager building. 
And so we have this super active community. So we're really hoping to reach all these people and get each of them to just give us $25. So Alain has been attending a care for over 20 years. He lives in a CHSLD and coming to care is extremely important to him, a big part of his life uh, that plays a role in his mental health as well. So Alain, uh, you're up at bats. Tell us, uh, first of all, tell us how you feel about knowing about all the efforts behind this fundraiser. I think it is important to have fundraising. It certainly is. And we're fundraising to help and to enhance uh, all the amazing programs uh, that you're doing. Can you tell me about some of your favorite programs that you're involved in at CARE? I love stretching and bowling. Stretching and bowling. That's awesome. Um, Olivia was speaking before, Alain, about uh, community outings. Uh, Tell me some of your favorite community outings and some of the things that you like to do. I love botanical gardens. He loves the botanical gardens. And and so what kind of things, uh, when you go to the botanical gardens, Eli, what, so what, what are you doing there? Are you touring around, looking at the flowers? What are some of your favorite things about the botanical gardens? I like to smell the flowers. Smell the flowers, certainly. Definitely at this time of year also in the springtime, right? Um, Eli, uh, tell me about the people coming to visit. Olivia was telling me, uh, telling us on the podcast about the home visits. So what, what kind of things are you doing with some of the home visits? We play on the cell phone together and make calls to friends. <laughs> That's fun. Of course, this year, uh, due to the pandemic, a lot of people had many, uh, many challenges. What were, what were some of the maybe the biggest challenges that you had over the last year? Being stuck at home is boring. Yeah, totally. Totally. So you're looking forward, I guess, to getting back to care in in September, probably? Yes. And what's the first thing you want to do when you enter those doors at care? Yeah, chocolate cake. Is uh, is the chocolate cake made there? Is that from a cooking class that you do? Yes. All right. You and I share... You and I share the same love for the same dessert, L.A. Yes. <laughs> Joanne, talk to me about the amazing caregivers and staff that you guys have at CARE. Well, everyone at CARE, up from the direction all the way down to the people doing the one-on-ones with the clients, go above and beyond on a daily basis. It's even hard to put in. This, people who do this, they don't do it for a job. They don't do it for a paycheck. They have a calling. They do it from their heart because they want to help. And they do a very good job at everything they do. Even things they're not prepared to do, they try to support the clients as much as possible. Uh, Because it's hard for this clientele also to express themselves because most of them are nonverbal, as you know. And they have issues like everybody else they want to talk about. And Sometimes they're upset and sometimes they're scared and sometimes they're worried and they have problems. And, you know, all the caregivers there take the time and patience with them to try and help them get through things they're going through as well, because that's another issue for this clientele. It's not like they could go and see a therapist or do talk therapy with someone because there's nobody really trained, you know, to deal with the population who is nonverbal or with the population who communicates with devices without assistance. So, you know, 
every client is different. They don't just do one size fits all. And they're able to connect with the clients in the way that it's good for them. You know what I, mm-hmm. do you understand what I'm trying to say? I do. I do. And I do agree that uh, the caregivers are, are truly, truly special people there. Right? I mean, it's a very personal and intimate uh, relationship between caregivers and, and, and clients because they have to do so many things for them. And it's a very intimate relationship and they're very loving and respectful. And you probably witnessed uh, many examples of caregivers stepping up in the last year, I, I assume. Absolutely. And all through, because even I am the president of the board of directors of care, but I have a young adult child who attends care. So I've experienced their compassion firsthand. Olivia, I'm going to ask you a question that, that I ask every guest on the podcast since, since we started about a year and a half ago, as we always strive to build a more inclusive society. How far have we come now in 2021 and being more inclusive? I definitely think that, you know, the word is out in the community to be inclusive. I see things on social media. I, I see there are lots of talks. It's it's come to, you know, our it's it's more on the government level or our city level. So I think that talking about it obviously helps, but as the years go by, we're becoming more and more inclusive. For example, this this Wager building, it did not have an elevator in it, which meant that our clientele, who were all using the wheelchair, um, the other floors in this building were not accessible. And now we've made motions, you know, we're in 20, the 2020s, 2021s. Yeah. Uh, the, an elevator is in the process of being installed so that it, we can be more inclusive um, and that all of our students would be able to access the rest of the building, the gymnasium, um, you know, and things like we, we ne- didn't necessarily think of that back 20 years ago, that to be inclusive meant that most buildings should have an elevator. Um, and the fact that even we're in a, a building that doesn't have one currently is kind of amazing. But it's great that we're moving forward with this. Olivia, can you tell me about the camp program? Sure. So in the typical year, pre-pandemic, we actually offered two respite opportunities. One was our winter camp in March, and the other was our summer camp, either in July or August. Uh, We would take all of our clientele for three weeks, 24 hours, uh, away to an adapted camp. And um, all of our trained caregivers would come with us. We often hired a lot of new caregivers in the summer. And just the coordinating of that opportunity for, um, first of all, those over the age of 21 and specifically over 30, because many camps end at the age of 30. And then um, this clientele does not have an opportunity to go to camp in the summer. What that means is they get to spend time with their friends, with people they know really well and do all sorts of sports and activities in the summer, such as swimming and adapted activities, uh, sports games. Um, But really the big thing that they enjoy the most and LA could vouch for this is they really love the summer meals, which are different than what they would be normally getting, let's say in a long-term care facility. Okay. So they get that variety. They get, you know, those chocolate cakes that Alain loves um, and, you know, sleepovers, being able to be up late, have movie nights. And it really is the highlight of their year. Tamar, how did the idea come about for an outreach campaign? 
I was given an opportunity to um, visit the care center. And because I had actually missed going to this amazing reunion that was organized, it was my first chance to step foot in the building again since I was a, a high school student. And it was incredible to like be in the same classrooms that I was as a kid and to see the new students there. And um, so basically I asked uh, Joanne Olivia, I said, are Wager students involved? And they said they love the idea. And so we've been working together ever since to try and make this happen. So what do you want uh, Wager alumni to know about CARE? What I want them to know is it's because the high school closed and, you know, so many people maybe moved away and moved on. Um, the building is still extremely vibrant. And this program in particular, it's I mean, it's so great to see that new people are in the building and there's a new generation of people using the space. And the classrooms still have the, the same life and the same things that we experienced. So it's wonderful. And it's such important work. I know that a lot of my peers, they have families now, some have kids, and everyone would want to have a program like this available to their child, you know, once they aged out of the school system. And so I want them to know that we need a program like this in our community to continue. We should support them and um, we should bring the spirit of Wager to uh, stay at the care center always. I'd like to continue on what Tamar is saying about how important this program is. And I don't think people realize that disability is, is lifelong. And we tend to donate and support the kids with disabilities. And these kids grow up. And I don't think people are, are, are aware that what happens to them when they do grow up? Mm. It's almost like this population is, it's invisible. You know, you see them on the telethons and this and that, and everybody donates, but does anybody ever wonder what happens to them after? And these kids grow up and they, they get older and their parents get older. Mm. And not only is the program important for their stimulation, but it also pre provides respite to families because we're lifelong caregivers, but they have the same needs as adults now as they had as children. And we need the same support now as we did when they were children. And I would love for people to, to be able to be aware of this fact. And our last fundraiser, although it was an in-person one, we made it very clear by taking photos of all our clients, back to back, side by side of when they were a child and when they were an adult. And people were left shocked. Some of our guests were crying because they didn't realize. And they didn't even know we existed. And in order to continue this work, we need funding. Because back in the day, these children were institutionalized. But we're probably the first generation of parents keeping these our children at home, therefore creating a need in education, and then after education, creating another need when they transition into the adult sector. And the system is just not set up properly in order to do this. So we prepare them for all those years 
up until they're 21 because they're allowed to stay in the youth sector to 21 because of their disability. And then we just literally throw them off a cliff. Mm. So this is something that has to be addressed. Um, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Care is there with the financial support, the government support. We can organically transition all these youth with disabilities into an adult sector for young adults with the disabilities as long as we get the support, therefore alleviating a societal issue because it's a domino effect, okay? They age out, the government has to pay to place them somewhere or the government has to pay the parent who's going on welfare to stay home with them. You know, as I say, it's a domino effect, but it can be solved. And uh, it is my wish that uh, the right people come around the table and uh, start a conversation in order to uh, rectify this situation and solve a great need that's there. They can't fix what they don't know is broke. So this is the problem. People don't know it exists. We want to make sure everybody knows this is an issue because it can't be every man for himself. And this center here, that little home there, this, everything has to be consolidated. Therefore, the money is, therefore, the resources is, and everyone can benefit. It's a more efficient use of finance and alleviates a weight on society. So CARE is its own nonprofit and charity, but we're very lucky to be working in a big partner with the English Montreal School Board over many years. Their support has meant so much to us. The fact that we're housed within the, an EMSB building uh, and all of our clientele are registered as adult education students in the special needs program. Um, this means that care can focus on the recreational side and the EMSB is the educational mm -hmm. side. So they get kind of the best of both worlds being a part of this program. Alain, you have to promise me in September when I come and visit, uh, we'll share a chocolate cake, okay? Yes, please. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. Uh, Joanne, Olivia, Tamar, Alain, it was great to talk to you all. And uh, let's give some, you know, some big exposure for care uh, and raise some big money as well. You can find all the links on how to donate on this podcast summary. Thank you so much, Mark, for having us all. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. You've been listening to the Inspiration News Podcast with Mark Bergman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and the English Montreal School Board Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.